Energy security, however, gives us the ability to to influence uh, not only energy policy here in the United States, but foreign policy all around the world. And that's what we really saw in this last, you know, incident with OPEC and, and the dispute that occurred between the Russians and the Saudis. Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Hyland. We are very pleased to have U.S. Secretary of Energy Jan Brulette join us on this special episode. He talks with Sarah Ladislaw, director of the CSIS Energy Program, about the future of U.S. energy. I'll turn it over to Sarah now. It's our great pleasure to have the Honorable Dan Bruyette, U.S. Secretary of Energy, joining us today. Mr. Secretary, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Great to be with you. Mr. Secretary, as you know, the United States is going through an unprecedented health and economic crisis that's impacted portions of the energy sector, particularly uh, oil and gas production. I just thought maybe we could take a moment and have you characterize where, in your perspective, we are right now in this battle against COVID-19 and what you think it means for the future of the oil and gas industry uh, going forward. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, and I'll state for the record up front, I'm not a medical expert, so I'll stay away from <laughs> where the country might be uh, with regard to its response to COVID-19. I can tell you a little bit of the of the, uh, the a few of the steps we've taken here at the U.S. Department of Energy, if, if that's of interest to you and your listeners. Um, but I think, you know, overall, what it's taught us, I mean, this pandemic has taught us a, a few things. And, and in a serious way, I'll address some of them. We're obviously in a much different position than we were as a country, say, back in 1973 or 1974. Uh, you know, back then we were obviously an importer of energy, an importer of oil and gas in particular. And, uh, you know, this type of crisis during that time frame would have produced a much different result for our national economy. Uh, the COVID uh, pandemic forced the, the world economy as well as the United States economy to slow down quite dramatically in the reduction in that demand curve. Uh, affected our oil and gas producers very, very dramatically. But what we've seen is, you know, uh, you know, a, a resiliency here in America that perhaps did not exist 30 or 40 years ago. And that's what's most surprising, I think, to a lot of consumers and a lot of producers around the world. What we're beginning to see now is, you know, as the country moves toward reopening these economies and we're starting to see this demand come back, we're starting to see this industry come back as well. And I, I think that's probably the, the most important lesson that we've picked up. It's the fundamental difference. It's the ability to produce oil and gas very, very quickly. We're seeing a downturn, you know, happen very quickly, but we're also seeing an upturn happen very, very quickly. And that's due to a number of different reasons. Obviously, the flexibility of, of the industry has been enhanced by, you know, new technologies that have been developed over the last 20 to 30 years. And it allows for this industry to be very, very efficient and respond to these types of market situations uh, much, much more quickly than they were able to. So I think overall, you know, we're in a good position. Uh, it's been a, it's been a, a very difficult time, obviously, for the nation. Um, you know, I think we've done the right thing. Uh, the president's actions with regard to um, COVID-19, I think, were appropriate. Uh, other countries acted in a, a very appropriate way in protecting their their, uh, their citizenry. Uh, I think those were all the right things to do. But what we're seeing as part of the economic uh, reaction to it, I think is remarkable. And uh, again, you know, I think it speaks to the, um, the strength of this particular marketplace and the strength of this particular industry. You know, you mentioned, and I, I want to stick with the theme of uh, energy security for a moment, because it's an issue that we've, you know, 
quite frankly, has been at the core of the program that I run at CSIS for the last 40 years, uh, which was born out of the wake of the Arab oil embargo and, and a different uh, type of energy crisis. I think what's been interesting, as you mentioned, is that most Americans would think about an energy crisis as being one of high prices and, uh, and energy shortages. And what we've just gone through is something a bit different, where we had just far too much supply on the market because you know uh, oil demand uh, collapsed almost overnight. And we had to, you know, have uh, some some interventions in the market or some some diplomatic interventions with regard to OPEC and some of their supply arrangements. And I think it's very interesting for for folks to realize that you know low oil prices have a net negative effect on the U.S. economy now because we're producing so much oil and gas. And that's very different than it's been in the past. I mean, how has that changed the way that you personally think about U.S. energy security and how you communicate about that with the with the American public, who generally might have a different idea in their head about what U.S. and global energy security is about in the realm of oil and gas? Now, it's an it's an interesting uh, thought, and it's an interesting question. You know, we, we are, as I said earlier, in a fundamentally different position than we were, say, in 1973 or 1974. And, you know, while the country, I think, has benefited from uh, our, our ability to be independent, uh, it's, it's also important for us to move to that next stage and, and to move from simply talking about energy independence to energy security, as you mentioned. And that's just a, a, a really different concept as well. Uh, energy independence, I mean, if you define it, I guess, most simply, is that you're able to produce enough energy to meet your needs. And if you closed your borders, you would be able to, um, you know, to survive and your economy would continue to, to have everything it needed with regard to energy production. Energy security, however, gives us the ability to, to influence uh, not only energy policy here in the United States, but foreign policy all around the world. And that's what we really saw in this last um, you know, incident with uh, OPEC and, and the dispute that occurred between the Russians and the Saudis. The fact that we are such a large producer, the world's number one producer of both oil and gas, gave this president and perhaps future presidents the ability to influence a decision that was made by OPEC in a way that hasn't happened in my lifetime. You know, when I was growing up in, in the southern part of Louisiana, uh, we were, as I said, completely dependent upon importation of oil and importation of gas for the most part. And as a result, any crisis resulted in a very, you know, sharp spike in in, uh, in prices uh, at the pump. And we saw exactly the opposite here, obviously because of the lack of demand given uh, the COVID situation. But I dare say that there have been other shocks in the marketplace. I, I, I refer back to uh, the attacks on the Apcake facility in Saudi Arabia just a few short months ago. That type of an attack, you know, uh, some time ago would have produced $100 a barrel oil nearly overnight. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because we've now moved into this new, this new era, this new world of energy security. And I think that's something that, um, you know, as, a, as an agency here at the U.S. Department of Energy, we're going to continue to focus on. We're going to continue to uh, push ahead with technologies that allow us to reduce the cost of the production of energy, both oil, gas, and other types, renewable energies as well. We think that's really the key to sustaining our, not only our independence in the short run, but our security in the long run. 
Sticking with the theme of energy security for a moment, President Trump issued an executive order on May 1st about securing America's bulk power supply system. It essentially tasks your agency with determining which foreign suppliers of bulk power supply equipment might pose a threat to national security. And it also asks you to establish a task force on electricity infrastructure procurement issues and national security. Can you provide some context for this executive order and your overall thoughts on the security of our electric power grid, which, by the way, has performed exceptionally well during this COVID-19 crisis, for which we're all grateful. But where does that energy security concern come from? Sure. Yeah, happy to do so. And yes, we are glad that the lights are on at our homes. It's uh, very difficult to telework with no Wi-Fi. Um, So we're very happy about that. Um, look, I think the, you know, the increased uh, visibility of uh, the actions taken by some of the bad actors around the world has heightened our awareness, um, you know, very appropriately so. I mean, uh, again, going back to the, the COVID situation, everyone is familiar about the, the conversation that occurred with regard to personal protective equipment, PPE, and other things. We looked at those supply chains very carefully. We realized that perhaps we were overly dependent on a few suppliers. The same thing occurs in the electric grid. The same thing occurs in the energy infrastructure overall. And what we've noticed and what we've identified is specifically within the electric infrastructure, there's a concerted effort by certain adversarial nations uh, to influence or to um, uh, to manipulate uh, some of the equipment that's going into that infrastructure. That's of concern to us. Uh, you may have seen some of the open source reporting about uh, Huawei and Uh, some of the other uh, infrastructure that we have identified as potentially uh, being a threat in the infrastructure. Uh, What we have done is to organize ourselves here at the department under the executive order issued by the president. We're going to create a task force. It'll be led by myself. I'm going to work with Secretary of Defense, uh, Esper, and others um, to identify the critical infrastructure and then take appropriate steps uh, to identify these things, or, or to not, not just identify them, but to alert the utilities to some of the intel that we're seeing. It has four pillars to it, and I'll just walk through them real quickly. Uh, the first pillar is going to first, it's going to you know prohibit the use of certain equipment uh, from the bulk power system, and the bulk power system for your for your listeners is the backbone of our national infrastructure, our national electric infrastructure. So we're going to focus on that uh, first. The second pillar is what, what we're going to call a pre-qualified list. And uh, we're going to allow certain vendors or equipment to be pre-approved for use on this bulk power system. The third effort is going to be taking, uh, taking a quick look at some of the equipment that's already on the system and working with the industry to identify any potential vulnerabilities that may already exist. And then the, the last pillar is what I mentioned earlier. Uh, we're going to create a task force uh, made up of several cabinet-level agencies to continue this uh, um, this effort going forward. We're going to create some rules um, over the course of the next few months. We're going to open all of this up to public comment where we're going to work closely with the industry to ensure that these rules make sense. Uh, we are not uh, looking to have the industry uh, go out and do what is called a rip and replace. We're not interested in having the entire infrastructure of the United States torn apart. Uh, We're simply looking at some of the most vulnerable or some of the most critical components of our electric grid and attempting to identify, um, you know, potential uh, vulnerabilities there. You mentioned in your response that some of this concern is uh, is heightened a bit by COVID-19 and our focus on resilience and our thoughts about 
supply chain uh, security and uh, our just capacity here in the United States as a, as a result of that. There's a number of initiatives that you all have focused on that look at supply chains, whether it's nuclear fuel suppliers or rare earth and critical minerals, now the um, bulk electric power system. In your conversations with people, are you noticing that there's a heightened interest in, in thinking about supply chains from this strategic perspective? Yes. Short answer is yes. I think people are taking a, a new look at this. Uh, and it's not unwarranted. I mean, we now have um, very specific and actionable intelligence uh, in the in the intel community that show that there are very real uh, doctrinal changes in some of the countries that we have done business with in the past. I think it's uh, important for us to recognize that change. It's important for us to recognize that potential threat and to act accordingly. And that's what we're doing with the bulk power order. It's what we're doing with the nuclear fuels working group. Uh, it's what we're doing in other parts of the industry as well. We're simply making people aware of some of the changes that are occurring around the world. We're not dictating specific outcomes, however, uh, with regard to individual corporate actions, but we are looking at policies that will help um, address the issue as well as perhaps incentivize portions of the industry to make these changes. Mr. Secretary, looking ahead, uh, I, I know the timing isn't great, but hurricane and wildfire season uh, are, are seriously upon us. And Noah has suggested that maybe 2020 could be uh, a busy hurricane season. Can, can you talk about how, uh, what is your outlook for this hurricane season and, and what DOE is doing with industry to help prepare? Sure. Uh, happy to do that, uh, Sarah. I'm going to be going down to Florida later this week, as a matter of fact, to visit with uh, Florida Power & Light as well as some other utilities there uh, to talk about their readiness for this upcoming hurricane season. Uh, NOAA, I think, put out some information very recently that there's a 60% chance of an above-normal uh, Atlantic hurricane season this coming year. And uh, we've already started off with two named storms before the official season began, and uh, you know, we're already we're uh, already into the season, uh, if you will, full 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 scale. But um, you know, we are responsible at the Department of Energy, as you know from from your past work here, uh, for what is known as Emergency Support Function 12, and that falls under the National Response Framework. Every year, we go through an exercise of ensuring that we are ready for this particular season. We review. Uh, our responsibilities under uh, the support function and under under the response framework. We ensure that we have the right people in place. We go through a very uh, a very robust preparation for this part of the year. But what we also do is work closely through the uh, Electric Sector Coordinating Council, where we uh, speak to the CEOs of these various utilities and ensure that they are ready uh, as well. And and they are. I'm happy to report that they are very very aggressively. Um, preparing themselves for this hurricane season. They have a great program, uh, what they refer to as mutual assistance. So each utility will uh, assist the other utility in an affected area. Uh, they're very, very good at this, and we're very proud of the work that they do each and every year. And, and what about on the wildfire front? I mean, um, we had a very bad uh, experience uh, or, or serious experiences last year as we have in, in recent years. What have we learned about the experience in California last year that could help us better deal with wildfire management this year uh, and and how that intersects with uh, the electric power sector? Well, I, I think we've learned that um, regulations do matter. <laughs> um, I hate to put it that way, but uh, California learned an important lesson about uh, strict liability. And, you know, thankfully, their legislature recognized 
the seriousness of this issue and perhaps some of the, the missteps they may have taken over the course of the years, and they've made some appropriate changes in their legal liability structure out west. I think that was in a very important step for them to take. But from the from the Department of Energy standpoint, you know, we're using technologies here that allow us to in many cases, predict where the most vulnerable areas are. And we're using our supercomputing capabilities here, as well as our expertise in things like artificial intelligence and the development of algorithms uh, to help the utilities in California predict where the next fire may occur. And that's, you know, it's, uh, it sounds futuristic in a way, but we're actually quite proud of the work that we've been able to do. And we've actually deployed some of it out, some of it out in California. We've also worked closely with the industry to develop uh, technologies, transmission technologies in particular, that make these facilities, makes the infrastructure much more safe than it had been in the past. So we're working closely with the state of California, as well as all of the western states where this threat exists to help them uh, through these times. Mr. Secretary, you've been very generous with your time, but I did want to ask you a question about stimulus spending as it relates to the COVID economic downturn and the energy sector. So far, stimulus efforts in the United States have only really impacted the energy sector by making credit facilities and loans available to energy companies, and in a more general way, providing support to unemployed workers so that they can continue to pay their bills and consume energy. Going forward, what role do you think that the U.S. government should play in providing for broader economic stimulus coming out of this time of economic crisis? And should it include measures affecting the energy sector? Some options that people are suggesting in the U.S. context, but also internationally as well, uh, include infrastructure investments, tax credits, worker or jobs programs, investment in R&D. What do you think is necessary? Well, I, I do think that infrastructure investments are key, and I would hope that the Congress would consider uh, some of the energy infrastructure for um, their next round, should they undertake another round. And I know it's very difficult to uh, to predict what Congress may or may not do, so I'll stay out of that business altogether. But the um, you know, as we look at the energy infrastructure, I'll just take one for example. We have the Strategic Petroleum Reserve here in the United States, and you know, you may have seen that Congress chose not to uh, to fund some of the early requests that we had made to perhaps. Uh, avail ourselves to some really good pricing in the marketplace for oil. Um, But I think it's very important that as we look at the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, that we invest in it. It's a very important, it's a critical component of our national infrastructure here. And, uh, you know, we have a lifetime, um, a life extension project that is underway currently with the SPRO, as we refer to it in DOE. Uh, I would hope that perhaps we could upgrade some of the infrastructure around the reserve. It was designed for us to uh, to discharge oil in the in the event of a disruption in the in the marketplace. And uh, you know, if we could uh, take some time and perhaps upgrade the infrastructure to allow us to take in oil as quickly as we can discharge it, that would be very very helpful, and I think would be beneficial to the country as a whole. So I would I would hope that as Congress moves forward, we take a look at those types of projects all across the country. Great. Well, thank you very much. I think that that's that's an important perspective uh, to have on thinking about critical infrastructure in the energy sector. I I think one of the uh, additional questions is whether or not there's going to be need for additional stimulus and and whether or not there's going to need to be a, a jobs and a workers program and 
uh, and things like that. I mean, do you think it's too early to tell whether additional stimulus is necessary or is it just it, it's it's hard to tell what Congress is going to do in light of that question? Sure. Yeah. No, as I said earlier, it's very difficult to predict what Congress will do on any given day. Um, and, you know, I, I think, look, I think what's important for us to do right at the moment is exactly what the president has said. Uh, we need to open up the economy safely and appropriately, but it needs to open up and it needs to open up quickly. And I think folks are anxious for that to happen. I think uh, folks are excited about the prospects that are just before them this summer and into the fall and certainly into 21. Uh, the economy is going to come back very, very strong. And I think folks are just anxious to get started uh, along that process. Well, Mr. Secretary, you've been really generous with your time. We know you've got a lot of things, uh, a lot of things to do, but we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about uh, this very dynamic uh, energy landscape. Let's hope for a quieter uh, rest of, uh, of 2020. Thank you, Sarah. It's great being with you. Thanks to the Secretary for joining us this week. Find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us online at CSIS.org or follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy.